0: Favorite kind of joke is we're all a group over here and we're just pointing and laughing at that person over there. And it's much more interesting to find, I don't know, more fundamental things that unite us instead of these superficial things like that person's fat or that person has herpes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so much to make fun of. So I I just think people should do that. <laughs> just do the good stuff instead of the bad stuff, you guys.
1: That's my comedy advice. I'm Lily Percy, and this is creating our own lives. Cool for short the podcast where I ask people to think through how they shape their lives and hopefully by listening we learn how to create our own. This season on Cool, we're talking about humor as a tool for survival and Lindy West's writing helps me survive. I first discovered her through her piece in The Guardian called My Wedding Was Perfect and I Was Fat as Hell the Whole Time. The raw vulnerability of her voice, I'd never read anything like it. And her new book, Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman, had me laughing and crying and sometimes crying while laughing as I saw myself so clearly in her journey of acceptance as a fat woman, a feminist and as a human being. As Lindy says, comedy forces you not to feel alone because you can't be alone when someone's making you laugh, physically reaching into your body and eliciting a response. The thing that I first wanted to ask you, which you talk a little bit about in your book, but for those who haven't read it yet, who really, really should, because it's remarkable. I mean, Shrill, I read it in two hours last night. I couldn't stop reading it. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, just so you you. know. (laughs) I (laughs) should make my book longer next time. (laughs) You really (laughs) should, actually, because that's what I was thinking. I don't want this to end. Uh, So then I had to go online and find more things that you've written, because that's exactly what I was left wanting to do. Um, but who was the person growing up that made you laugh the most?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I always had a really um really intense, close group of female friends who were all really, really funny um you know, we always like made little videos and wrote funny stories and comics and we were constantly generating uh humor and jokes and We weren't like complete social outcasts, but we definitely weren't top tier popular. We were sort of this middle of the road weirdo group of kids. And it was nice because it was like, I feel very fortunate to not have been constantly bullied growing Mm -hmm. up because then you have this mental and emotional space to be creative, but without the pressure to be like pretty and wear good clothes, (laughs) you know, like being in the middle, I felt was very fruitful for me personally. And I, I also just have funny parents. Um... My Dad was really the sort of old timey song and dance man, kind of funny, and my mm. mom's really like dry and mean and judgmental, but in a good way yeah <laughs> um and uh, and my sister's really funny and you know bizarre and fascinating, and I don't know I just I feel like I grew up in a nice triangulation of a lot of different kinds of humor and people using humor for different reasons. Mm. I love the way you write about your parents actually in shrill, where you say. Uh, about
1: your mom. Dad was the entertainer, but I'm funny because of my mom. She has a nurse's ease with gallows humor, sarcastic and dry. She taught me to cope with pain by chopping it up into bits small enough to laugh at. I love that last line. I mean, it's really true. That is what we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a pretty basic coping mechanism, I think. I, I don't know of any other way. I'm sure other people do other things, but for me, that's it. Like, I, I mean, I remember the day my dad died. Um, even at the hospital, my sis, I remember my sister and I just cracking up at the horrible movie selection in the family lounge at the hospital. There's like a little, a horrible little room that you're supposed to sit in and like watch VHS tapes of, you know, Beethoven second. <laughs> like I just remember sitting there and <laughs> oh like God. dying laughing because it was the most inadequate this like is not unhelpful. what you want to watch
1: when you're in <laughs> right <that situation>. exactly
0: <laughs> it was like weird action movies but everything was a sequel it was all like <laughs> i don't know and there's always i i've i've definitely grew up always finding those little things like when everything feels horrible what can we what tiny detail can we seize on and and laugh about uh, there's a there's a line in the
1: book that just struck me so much because i felt like it was out of my own diary Um, when you were saying as a little girl, I knew very clearly what I was not. Small, thin, pretty, girlish, normal, weightless Winona Ryder. And it's the Winona Ryder that killed me because she was a person I admired. I had her pictures plastered in a scrapbook. I loved her obsessively. And I don't think that until the moment I read that sentence that you wrote that I understood why. Like she represented for our generation beauty.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was such an intense need to be like Winona Ryder which is just the most inaccessible thing yeah (laughs) like I remember uh very vividly in middle school or high school uh watching reality bites and realizing that there are Winona Ryder's and Janine Garofalo's Mm -hmm. and I was a Janine Garofalo for sure. Yeah, same, <laughs> you <know>? same. Um, <laughs> You're the off-screen friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I have no home in the movies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. And, and I mean, you talk about that so much about not seeing yourself reflected in pop culture. And um, there's something you write. And I swear, I'm just going to keep reading your writing because it's so beautiful. And it's so wonderful oh, to you. hear this. But you say for me as a kid who felt lonely, ugly, simultaneously invisible and too visible, Comedy felt like a friend, that its greatest magic, more than any other art form, it forces you to interact with it. It forces you not to feel alone. Because you can't be alone when someone's making you laugh. Physically reaching into your body and eliciting a response, comedy is also smart. It speaks the truth. It was everything I wanted it to be. Plus, if you're funny, it doesn't matter what you look like. I just want you to talk a little bit about that feeling that you wrote about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who really loves comedy and and who loves TV, especially, can relate to this, I, I assume. Like, I just remember I would get so deeply attached to my favorite TV shows to the point where, you know, I would need to have them on all the time that it felt like my friends were there or, mm. or even my family. What um, were those favorite which, TV shows? Um. Well, let's see. I mean, I guess this was more like, I mean, like Freaks and Geeks. Mm. I have watched that series in its entirety, probably a hundred times. Mm. Um, well, My So-Called Life, which is not a comedy, obviously, but I watched that a million times. <laughs> yeah. And it is funny. It, it is funny in its it own is way. <laughs> um, I, I would listen to stand-up specials over and over and over. And then I, I, especially once I started to have these conflicts with stand-up comedians in my professional life and mm. personal life, I started to be like, ugh, stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I moved away from that to the point where now I, I almost entirely watch narrative scripted shows. Well, you mentioned
1: there, you talked a little bit about stand-up comedy, and you talk about that in your book uh, in a chapter, and which ends with something that kind of made me so sad. Where you say, men, you will never understand. Women, I hope I helped. Comedy, you broke my heart. And I was thinking that you've talked a lot about holding comedians accountable for jokes that they tell, and you even talked about Howard Stern, who's someone that I love but have had a real love-hate relationship with just because... Mm-hmm. And even the way you defended him is exactly the way I defend him to girlfriends, especially, you know, he's this neurotic just he's so enjoyable to listen to in his banter with Robin and, and with the staff. It's just you feel like you're part of that family. Yeah. But then there's the other side, right, which is the side mm-hmm. that makes you feel terrible as a woman and trying right. to hold comedians accountable in that way. I just thought it was fascinating how you who talked about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and there was this idea that by critiquing comedy, misogyny and comedy specifically, that I was trying to destroy comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like what I would like is to be able to consume comedy without feeling like garbage. Yeah. You know, um, the next phase after realizing the power of comedy and becoming obsessed with stand up was realizing how often it was just telling me horrible things about myself mm. um, and using my gender as a stand in for all kinds of negative destructive things it's like you know women are just like sex nothings (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) and then horrible old fat wives yeah those are the two things that comedians talk about Mm -hmm. at least when i was growing up yeah the nagging wife always the nagging wife or the unattainable hot chick yeah none of whom are real human beings and i remember having this realization that you know, if I'm spending my money on this art form, if I'm devoting my my life and my time and attention and love to this art form, why should I not have a voice in the way that it talks about me? Mm. You know, why should I not at least express like hey, that kind of sucks, <laughs> you yeah. know? But what when, when I when I was getting really obsessed with comedy in, as a late teen, it was because I could feel its potential to move the world mm. and repeating over and over again that women are annoying does nothing. All it does is reinforce the past, which is just not interesting at all. Well, I wanted to ask you
1: about uh, something that I've really thought a lot about, which is self-deprecation. So Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a family member recently, and they said to me, you know, I'm so glad that you've become more confident that you stop putting yourself down. And they said, your jokes always made me feel uncomfortable. And I never realized that my jokes, which I thought were funny which were about myself, made uh-huh. other people uncomfortable. And it made me really think about the perception of myself that I was putting out there and what I was saying to people about it. And also, why were they uncomfortable? These all these questions that are in my head around this. And I just wondered, have you thought
0: about this? You know, it's, that's so interesting. I actually, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm i sure I have to some degree, but as you were talking, I was like, huh. I mean, I definitely noticed that sometimes I try to be self-deprecating, mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. And sometimes it does work. And I feel like the difference is, am I being self-deprecating about something that deserves it or something that doesn't? You know, if I make fun of myself for being for being lazy, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not lazy. It's not true. Yeah. But then sometimes, like, if I actually have a real flaw, it can be really funny and really therapeutic to sort of, you know, highlight that and apologize for it. No, and that, well, I, I asked because in your book, I
1: felt like actually your humor doesn't come off that way at all. It, it feels like yeah. you make fun of situations, but you don't make fun of yourself.
0: Well, and it just almost always feels disingenuous, mm-hmm. like you're trying to get people to give you permission to do something that you're going to do anyway, or you're trying or you're fishing for a compliment or you're doing a weird flailing mm-hmm. thing because you're having an insecure moment. And so, yeah, I I think self-deprecation can be really funny and great. Yeah. I just maybe I'm not good at it. Well, I wondered if in your 20s when I know that you you were still as
1: I mean we're all growing all the time getting better hopefully but you know even like a story you tell working at a retail store in the book and this man who essentially was trying to get you to I think it was to exercise or to like take some kind of yeah. weight loss things I have no idea and you you say this like I was still small then inside and that line struck me because I think that what what my family member was talking about with me being self deprecating was that at the time it was my early twenties and I think I was trying to be the butt of my own joke before someone else said something to me about it. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even in that conversation with that horrible man, he's like, don't you want to lose weight? And in that interaction, I was like, well, yeah, obviously. Doesn't everyone? Ha 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 ha. I would never say that now. Yeah. Ever. And definitely before I figured out how to be confident in my body, I would definitely make fat jokes about myself. Um, Not because... I felt like I deserved it, but this sort of like that was the first phase of my journey to body positivity, yeah. you know. To be able to be like, well, you know, I'm kind of a fat ass, but whatever. Yeah, no,
1: and I think that's exactly what I thought I was doing, but I don't think other people knew.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> I remember it making people really, really uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, that's what yeah, exactly. But it it does feel in retrospect like it was kind of necessary to then move on to not saying it as a joke and being like, yeah, well, this is my body and I have to use it and go places. So uh, <laughs> it's actually not funny. It's <laughs> just, exactly. It's just the yeah. way it is. It's just the way it is.
1: Yeah. I'm So I'm so curious about, you know, you talk about in early on in the book um, in describing pop culture characters that you saw, you know, of examples of fat women. And you say, um, specifically in this case, talking about Trunchbull from Matilda, you say, the world is not kind to big, ugly women. Sometimes bitterness is the only defense. And I think that's also something that I've been guilty on on my own body positive journey, which is, you know, the first thing is being bitter toward thin women, being bitter to yeah. people who didn't look like me. And I just wonder, how have you kind of fought against that from becoming this bitter kind of caricature?
0: Oh, um, I, I don't think it's really in my nature to be super resentful. I don't really hold grudges against people. I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, is there anyone that I that like wronged me and I hate them. And I kind of can't think of anyone. That's um, great. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> um, but I really do genuinely recognize that every single person struggles yeah. with feeling okay about their body. And I have genuine empathy for that. And I have many, many thin people, conventionally beautiful people in my life who I know have really, really painful life-ruining struggles with this stuff. So it's not it's not terribly hard to, yeah. to have empathy. Um, but that said, I also have a lot of empathy for fat women who are, for fat people mm. who are. And I tend to give people a little bit of wiggle room. Mm. I think you understand it's a process. <laughs> it's a process. And if you're a person who has grown up never having heard anything positive about your body, never having been told that, Your body is even – when you're fat, people treat you like you shouldn't exist. Not not only like a lack, you know, a withholding of praise or any positive feedback. It's like we want you to disappear. Mm. We want you to starve or die or go away or hide. And so to say not just I deserve to be here, but I'm beautiful – To go that far in the opposite direction is hugely empowering. And so, like you said, it's a process. And I definitely do feel, um, I don't even want to say that I forgive them. It's not my place to forgive. It's like, I I just, I understand.
1: Yeah. So you write in the introduction of, of Shrill, you say, there are a few simple directives that I tried to lay out in this book. Do a good job. Be vulnerable. Make things. Choose to be kind. That notion of choice, of choosing what kind of person you want to be, is more important now than ever. And I wonder just how humor has helped shape this person that you want to be.
0: Oh, um, I mean, I think humor has definitely taught me a lot about how to communicate with people. Um, It's really, really easy to deliver complicated, difficult ideas if you can wrap them up in a joke and make people want to consume them. That's definitely been the biggest influence on me in terms of my consumption of of comedy. Mm. Just like figuring out how to interact with people who are different from me, how to get through to people who are really really entrenched in their own ideas and because mm. if you can make a good joke, a good joke is a good joke.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh the desire to laugh is pretty universal. Um The best comedy to me is true, is illuminating truths that have been obscured Mm. or, you know, shared experiences that that we haven't talked about yet, pointing out absurdities that we may not have noticed. Um, It can be used in the opposite direction Mm. to cement generalizations, you know, that are harmful, but it can also... Dismantle those generalizations. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I think you
1: prove that even in the way you you tell the story in your book about how you know your husband, who wasn't your husband at the time, but just a friend, when you were in a comedy club watching someone do stand up about someone who had herpes or a girl who had herpes. I can't even remember who it was. Yeah, and you turned to him and you said, "Well, I could have herpes." You were making a point about making fun of someone who was going through something. Yeah. Um,
0: I was standing in the back of this room, like looking at this room full of people, all of whom were laughing hysterically. And I was thinking about the statistic of something like a third of people have herpes. Yeah. And I was like, there's so many people in this room who probably have herpes yeah. who are just pretending to laugh, but really feeling disgusting and unwanted and broken. Yeah. And. Um, but you proved a point with that joke to him. And then, as you tell
1: later, when he talked to you about when you guys fell in love, he said that joke made me realize you were a good person.
0: <laughs> like, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I win. So, exactly. no, I mean, my least favorite kind of joke is we're all a group over here and we're just pointing and laughing at that person over there. Yeah. You know, like, what is the point? Yeah. What are you accomplishing? Um, and it's much more interesting to to find, I don't know, more fundamental things that unite us instead of these superficial things like that person's fat or that person has herpes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's like <laughs> it's much more interesting to think about like <sighs> things that we care about and shared values and Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I there there's so much to make fun of that that makes people's lives better instead of just furthering division and marginalization. There's so much. Yeah. There's so much to make fun of. So I just think people should do that. (laughs) Just do that. Do the good stuff instead of the bad stuff, you guys. That's my comedy advice. (laughs) Done.
1: Lindy West is the writer of the amazing book, Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman, which had me laughing out loud at nearly every single page. She's also a columnist at The Guardian, and the writer of many amazing essays. But my personal favorite is still her pitch-perfect take on Love Actually. But beware, this will ruin Love Actually for you. Creating Our Own Lives is produced by Maya Taro, Chris Hegel, and Trent Gillis, and is an On Being Studios production. You can listen and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. And leave us a review on iTunes. It matters more than you think. I'm Lily Percy. Thanks for listening.